Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and uh, this is Dogman Radio for this weekend's Saturday, um, uh, basically third week of fall camp. It's amazing how quickly it's gone by, and I think a lot of that's because we haven't necessarily been able to go to practice, so the days seem to go by quicker, at least for me. And here with us is Scott Eklund, and Scott, uh, I think I counted it up, it's uh, day 22 since the first day of fall camp that we're aware of, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily practice 22. It could be, but, um, pretty close. Yeah. I was going to say, what, what's your overall feeling and kind of how quickly things have gone by already this fall? Well, I think you're, you're a hundred percent right. I, I agree with you that things are going by a little faster than they normally would because we're not going through the daily grind of having to get down there, sit through practice, which I'm not complaining about. A lot of other people have a lot crappier jobs than ours to sit there and watch football, you know, for a couple hours and then, and then do interviews and write it up. But, you know, we're not going through that daily grind. We're literally just getting, uh, a, a coach and maybe a player or two and, on Fridays, just Jimmy. So they go by a little bit quicker because I have two crazy kids running around that I have to keep track of uh, when I'm not doing that kind of stuff. And um, so, yeah, it, it's going by a lot quicker than I think a normal August would. Yeah, and, and we were trying to figure it out. I mean, they're going five days a week minimum. And, you know, because we, we get them, uh, the media does five five times during the during a during a, I guess a, a week of, of time, a seven day chunk of time. And then Saturday is one of the days we don't get them, but we know they've been practicing Saturdays because they're having practice games on Saturday. So I guess conceivably is Monday their, their day off, maybe their only day off during the, during the, uh, practice weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And Jimmy Lake, if you guys go back and listen to the podcast that I posted, uh, with Jimmy Lake on Friday, basically he said that, um, you know, the only day they're going to have off during, the uh during game prep week is election day because for the first time in probably history they're going through fall camp in the middle of an election so um they're going to give the guys the the day off on Tuesday which normally would be their first day of practice they're going to practice on Monday instead that week what is that the third is that the no not the third that's the second yeah, second. Yeah. They'll practice on the second. The third is the election day on Tuesday, and then they'll be right back into their normal schedule after that. So, um, yeah, it's it's coming up on us. And, man, yeah, I, these these kids have been going through their practices and stuff. I think they're getting in more work than they normally would during a regular fall camp. Because I don't remember them having practice six days a week. Do you remember that? I don't necessarily remember that, but it wouldn't surprise me. If they tried to at least maybe do some walkthroughs or some mm-hmm. things at shells and shorts and what have you, um, during some of their off days or their, their cool down days or whatever you want to call them. Um, we did get a chance to talk to Jimmy Lake on Friday. 
um, get some thoughts from him on, on how this third week of, of fall camp is going. Everyone obviously wants to know about the quarterback battle and how that's progressing. Uh, we know at least at the beginning of this thing, he's always talked about himself being an equal opportunity employer. He's given equal reps apparently to all four of the scholarship guys there. You're looking at Jacob Sermon. You're looking at Dylan Morris. You're looking at Ethan Garbers, as well as the the tra- grad transfer Kevin Thompson from Sacramento State. And so he was asked Friday about that as well. And basically, he's saying the same thing. Everyone's getting equal reps. Doesn't sound like anyone's really separated themselves from the other. If they need to go more than one quarterback against Cal on November seventh, they could do that. They could go two quarterbacks, three quarterbacks, essentially. What Jimmy Lake's doing, Scott, is he's giving an absolute master class in coach speak, saying everyone's got an equal chance. No one's really separated themselves. They could play five quarterbacks against Cal if they wanted to. Did you, have you made anything out of uh, Coach Lake's comments towards the, co- the quarterback competition so far? Yeah, just that I think he's enjoying messing with us. And, and not, I don't want to say messing with the fan base, but he knows that by not putting anything out there, he's messing with Cal's heads. So, I mean, look, Justin Wilcox is a smart, smart head coach and he's got smart coaches on it. Is Tim DeRider still the, uh, the, no, it's deep... actually, no, it's, 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 um, no, it's Sermon. Sermon. Oh, so he, that's right. Okay. Yeah. He's a defensive coordinator. He, they've got a bunch of smart guys down there. So I don't, I don't see this really having that much of an impact on them, although they haven't really seen Kevin Thompson. Um, you know, in, in Washington's offense. So, but I, you know, I don't think he's doing the, you know, Jimmy Lake's doing this to be kind of a butt, butthead or an a-hole, whatever you want to call him. But I, I really think that he's just like, Hey, I'm not going to give any kind of advantage when this is my, my one, probably the one time in his head coaching time here at the University of Washington when nobody has any idea what to expect from the University of Washington, uh, offensively because, Brand new quarterback, brand new system, brand new signal call or uh, uh not signal caller, uh play caller, and brand new um you know terminology and all that. So I mean I don't I don't think you're ever going to have this kind of a combination at least while Jimmy Lake is the head coach at the University of Washington. Well, that's for sure. I mean John Donovan is an unknown quantity uh in the Pac-12 and 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 basically college football for a few years now because he's. He was in the pro game for what, three, four years at least. The last time he was in the college game was when he was with, uh, Franklin at Penn State, James Franklin. So I think what was that, 2014, 2015, 16, somewhere around there? Yeah, so, somewhere around there. Yeah. So I mean, there's no doubt he, he, they have kind of that X factor of the unknown. There's no doubt about it. And then when you see the little snippets out on social media, uh, of the video that they, that they throw out there during the practices and whatnot, you see a guy like Kevin Thompson throwing touchdowns to guys like Ty Jones and, uh, and, and the freshmen like Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan and, and Sawyer Racanelli is doing well apparently. But then you see one yesterday where he throws a pick and Elijah Molden's all over it. And so they're, they're trying to show the balance of the two sides. But when you're looking strictly at the, the quarterback position, you're, you're seeing basically the warts and all. You're seeing the, the good plays, but then you're also seeing the plays where they're going to have to learn quite a bit and have a rethink about, uh, how they're going to try to attack that Washington defense in practice. Um, overall, do you think, do you have a sense that someone's leading, even though they're trying to make this thing as equal as possible? Yes. 
Yes, I do. I, I think I think the coaches have a pretty good idea at this point, at least who their top two guys are, and and they're the, going to be the ones to go with. From now, look, this could be a complete disinformation. Uh, you know, we are in this era where everything is fake news, right, Chris? <laughs> and 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 sources are have their own agendas and give you different stuff. But a couple people I trust that I've talked to have told me that the guys who've really stood out. At the quarterback spot are Kevin Thompson, the transfer from Sac State, and Dylan Morris, the uh, redshirt freshman from Graham Kapowson. Now, that doesn't mean Jacob Sermon hasn't looked good at times. It doesn't mean Ethan Garbers hasn't looked good at times. And it doesn't mean that either one of them are out of it. All I've been told is that the two guys who've really stood out to a lot of people there have been Morris and Thompson. And so I think it, at this point, if I'm just having to make an educated guess, I think uh, Thompson and Morris are the ones separating themselves from the other two. And I think that, that those are probably going to be the, the pecking order, and we'll have to figure that out by the time that uh, next week – I'm sorry, not next week, the following week rolls around because that's game prep week, and and uh, the players need to know who the starter is going to be. The, the guy who needs the most reps is, needs to be getting the most reps, and, and – so I and I'm just not a huge fan of the two quarterback system. Just not have never really been a big fan of it. And I know it's worked for the Washington Huskies a few times here and there. I know it's worked for some other coaches during during their ten years in college football. But I I am not a big fan of the two quarterback system. Yeah, I think reading between the lines and talking to John Donovan this fall, I think ideally, obviously, they want. That one quarterback. I don't think they want to be rotating in guys. I think they want one quarterback, but I think it's more to the point that they want one guy to really just take the job by the horns. They want one guy to really step up and show that they're willing to lead and command that huddle and make great plays, make great decisions, can be a true playmaker out there instead of them having to make the choice. They want the player to make the choice for them, right? I mean, that's the, that's how coaches always want it to work. But the one, only thing I will add to the conversation in terms of who might be leading, who you know, is, is struggling a bit or who might be behind. We have to think about one piece of this puzzle and that there's only one quarterback that's involved in this competition right now that I wouldn't say he was hand picked by John Donovan, but he's the only guy that has joined Washington since John Donovan arrived on campus. And that's Kevin Thompson. They clearly see something in Thompson that they like, that they want, that they covet. And yeah, he com- he had what 3,800 yards of total offense last year, 39 total touchdowns. He clearly has something about him. Uh, there's a spark about him. Those types of things. So would it surprise me if a guy like Kevin Thompson is in their thoughts right now and is getting serious uh, consideration? I-, I wouldn't doubt that at all. Because again, I think he's a guy that that maybe Donovan had in mind when looking at the kind of player that they want to run this particular offense. Pro style, sounds like, you know, big heavy running backs, multiple tight ends, trying to get aggressive down the field, use a, use a running game that will overwhelm people in the third and fourth quarters. You know, we, we've heard these types of things being talked about. Um, but again, I think they like the idea of a Thompson being a guy that can run around a little bit, is elusive. And I think that's also the reason why maybe a guy like Dylan Morris is starting to get some consideration too, because he's not the biggest kid in the world, but he does have some elusiveness, does have some escapability, and can do some things, and we know he's got a great arm. So 
those kinds of things certainly wouldn't surprise me when we're trying to look at this thing from the outside. No, I, I think you're on the right track there, Chris. I, I would agree with everything you just said. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So so moving on, I mean, we're not going to necessarily do a position-by-position breakdown of this stuff. We did a a pretty big one, and, and I don't think much has changed since last uh since last Saturday that we did the the big kind of breakdown position but by, by position uh what I will say is we we did talk to Jimmy Lake again on Friday he mentioned that there you know and again I don't think he'd tell us this even if there had been but there haven't been any big position switches no attrition in terms of guys um you know leaving the program during fall camp or or any sort of guys missing in action and that kind of stuff um, you know, he was asked questions about guys like Puka Nakua and he answered it like Puka's been a big part of the fall, even though when you look at the videos and things like that, it's hard to see where he's even practicing. So you read between the lines, you try to figure out things as much as you can. Um, the one thing I will say is we did put out about five or six minutes worth of video on the defensive linemen and outside linebackers on Friday. Scott, did you glean anything out of that video? And, and is there anything out of that group, especially knowing that Levi Anzarike is gone, Joe Tryon's gone? Do you see, get a sense of any guys really emerging that you think are going to immediately be able to pick up right where those guys left off and, and create the same kind of impact right out of the gate? Um, I would say the, the guy to keep an eye on, and I'm not bullish on him being an every down guy, but I think he could wind up being, and I wrote about this, um, in, in my little, um, addition to the message boards when I talked about some of the information I've been given is that I think Savelle Smalls could be your, could be a, could wind up being a, uh, situational pass rusher, pa- pass rusher for, in Washington's scheme. I think the coaches are really excited about his explosiveness and his potential as a, as a playmaker and as a, as a guy who can get after the quarterback a little bit. He still needs some work on his technique. He still needs some work on some other things that, that, you know, fre- he's a freshman, you know, that they, they have a lot of things that they still have to learn about playing the game, especially at this, at this level where, at the high school level, he was able to out athlete a lot of guys. He's not going to be able to do that here, uh, in college. So, uh, a lot of things for him to get used to, but I think you could see him be a, an exceptional pass rusher, uh, for the University of Washington. But, you know, as far as the, the top four guys in, in the rotation, as far as, um, D tackles are concerned and everything like that. Josiah Bronson's in there, obviously. Tuli Ledulagasanoa. You've got Sam Taimani, and I think the guy that you could see emerge in there um, at some point in that four-man rotation that they like to use is Jacob Bandis. You know, everything I've heard about him is he's had a really good camp. He's been he's been exceptional in some of the areas that the coaches are looking for him to be exceptional at. He's good at stopping the run. He's good at, at taking up blockers and. And I think that's something that that uh, we can keep an eye on early in the season. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that there that Jacob Vandis is a guy that can take that next step up 
We saw how dominant he was in high school. And then when you add in a guy like Fatui Tuatele and then Noah, Noah Nalu, um, those two guys, when you, when you have kind of that, that's those, the, that group of six that are competing for the, for the top two spots and the rotation in, um, I think you've got a young, hungry group there. You know, Bronson is the lone senior. He's kind of the, the veteran of the group. But again, Thule and Taki, uh, that combination was, was really good last year. And I, 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 I have to think they're only getting better in terms of understanding how they want to play together what kind of moves they want to make, what kind of games they want to run along that front. And I, I think there's a lot of uh, good things you can say about those guys. And then, obviously, the three redshirt freshmen coming in. I think you can rotate those guys in. I think those guys are all going to be hungry to try to see what they can do to add to the mix for sure. But going back to Savelle a little bit, um, boy, he just doesn't. When you see the video on him, Scott, he just does not look like a true freshman at all to me. I mean, again, this is the second year in a row where you've had a rush guy, because last year it was Laiatu Latu, kind of looking the same way, if not even a little bigger. Um, this is the this is where they're starting to roll in a guy here, a guy there, class after class after class, um, and it's really starting to pay dividends. Um, I think when you when you add those two guys in, you've obviously got Zion on there to mix and match with Ryan Bowman, who's leading that line. Um, I think the outside linebacker group is actually looking. Not too shabby considering they lost their top guy in Joe Tryon. No, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think they're going to be fine there. Um, the, the, the difference is it, the, the one, the one thing about having a guy like Tryon, if he took that next step that we thought he was going to be able to take, um, during his junior year, if he was able to do that, he would be that one guy that everybody would fear. Right. And and schools would uh, other programs would would uh, game plan for him and other teams would be worried about him. And what's he going to do? Where is he going to line up? What's how's he going to rush the quarterback? All these different things. And now that guy's gone. You don't quite have that quick pressure that you like to get on on quarterbacks um, from a guy like Joe Tryon. So um, now you're going to have to figure out different ways to get it. Washington can still get pressure on the quarterback. I don't know what their total was last season, but I want to say it was something like what mid to upper twenties in sacks. Is it, is that, is that right off of your top of your head, Chris? Um, they had, yeah, about, um, they had close to 30. I think they had like 29, 30, something okay, like that. Yeah. I yeah. knew it was relatively close to that. So it was upper twenties. Yeah. And, Patron, I think uh, had eight of those. So, yeah. so if you include all the guys that are returning and you add up all their sack numbers, you essentially get him. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, but I really think that you could see like a Leatu Latu. I, I am really high on, uh, Zion Tupuola Fatui, uh, because I, I think that guy is much longer, you know, as, as good as Leatu Latu is. And he's, you know, a guy with some size and he can run and do, do a lot of different things for you and line up in different spots. ZTF, man, he is a guy who just exudes like that long, long guy off of the edge. And he's a one, he's one that I'm kind of looking for to have a breakout season this fall. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering if he could have the same kind of season, even though it's going to be in a shortened year. I'm wondering if he can have the same kind of year 
that Joe Tryon did last year in terms of the, you know, trying to really take that, that next step in his development. But you also mentioned who's going to be that guy like Tryon who can bring that quickness off the edge right away. Obviously we've talked about Savelle Smalls. Braylon Trice is certainly another guy that they're trying to, to bring along. I, I don't think we can underestimate him, but again, until he actually gets out there with the bullets firing, so to speak, that, you know, we have no idea what he's capable of doing. So there are guys that are in the hopper that can do it. Um, let's just see how quickly they adapt and develop and ramp up that learning curve to kind of be those impact guys. Because bottom line is when you take Levi Onzerike's numbers and you take uh, Joe Tryon's numbers and you put them together, that's basically all the returning statistics from the rest of the group combined. So you really can't overstate their impact to what they were able to do uh, as a duo last year in terms of creating pressure, sacks, tackles for loss, and those types of things. So, But moving forward, I, I just wanted to um, talk a little bit because we did talk about Savelle as a true freshman. I think there's some other true freshmen that can make an impact. And just to remind people, the eligibility is on pause right now, guys. So that means if you are a true freshman for the 2020 season, you can play all seven games in this regular season, 2020 regular season, and you will still be a true freshman for the 2021 year. So that there, the eligibility right now, it's, it's, it's frozen. It's on, it's on hold. So that should allow the coaches to, to feel free to use a lot of these freshmen if they think they're ready to step up and be impact guys. And I think the one position, if there's one position that we can really single out, that the true freshmen are really making an impact right away. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but it sure seems to me that these freshman receivers are coming up big, especially when it doesn't sound like Puka Nakua, uh, Marcus Spiker. It doesn't sound like those guys have really been available or have had a lot of, of, of reps and turns to be able to do what we know they're capable of doing. But you talk about Jalen McMillan. You talk about Roma Dunze. You talk about – uh, Sawyer Racanelli, who, to be honest with you, I thought they would probably try to just keep him in, in cotton wool this year because of his knee injury, the knee injury that took him out of his entire senior season of high school. I thought, well, you know, they didn't necessarily have to rush him or all this. It sounds like he's killing it, too. I, what do you think about these three guys? Because it sounds like they're making a big impact. Yeah, you just don't see a lot of freshmen come in and be able to do what they did and they've done so far, at least from an impressiveness standpoint, um, you know, it sounds like they were able to pick up the offense really quickly. Um, it sounds like Romo Dunzi has just blown people away with what he can do, um, you know, from route running to blocking to catching the ball and, and all those different things. And, and it sounds like uh, the coaches are really ecstatic that, that these guys are all here and ready to go. Um, one thing that Junior Adams has been saying that he wants to do is get bigger out of the slot. Well, it sounds like Ty Jones has been playing a lot out of the slot, and guess who's right behind him? That's Sawyer Racanelli. And um, Sawyer fits that mold perfectly of a big slot receiver, and he can use his physicality. He can do a lot of different things for you. He can he can block. He loves to block. He's he's a guy who who just is a straight up football player and it sounds like Jalen Millen has had some moments too, but Romo Dunzi is the one that's really, really 
the one that's really blown people away with what he can do. He's even returning some punts. So that'll be kind of interesting to see if he gets out there and is able to return punts because you don't see a lot of six, two punt returners. Most of the punt returners are going to be right around six foot, maybe six one, but most around five eleven, six feet tall. Yeah, and uh, it looks like Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon are also going to be in that return mix. But yeah, uh, and my money's on Gordon. My money's on Gordon. Oh yeah, I I think Kyler Gordon has a chance to be pretty special back there. But yeah, Jimmy Lake, they they talked about Roma Dunze. They uh, Bob Gregory has talked about Roma Dunze being a part of the return uh, competition as well. So I think that's pretty huge. What's interesting is is that I have no idea. I mean, slants are, are a are a staple of any offense. I don't care if you're running air raid or pro style or multiple or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, they they were in some really high leverage situations last year where they tried to run slants for first downs. I you know, you think of Oregon at the end of the game with Puka Nakua trying to to, to pick up that fourth down late. Um but again, a guy like Puka is the guy you want in there when historically the last few years they've had Aaron Fuller and Andre Bocelli and maybe some of the even smaller guys in there too. Now, if you look at Ty Jones trying to catch those or a Sawyer Racanelli, now all of a sudden you've got a kid that can body up and shield the ball from the defenders. I think to me it makes a huge difference. And again, we certainly don't know how big the slant is going to be uh, a staple of this pro style attack that John Donovan's going to be uh, unveiling on November 7th. But you have to think that it at least could be a, an outlet. It can be a, a valve or, or it could be something that the quarterbacks look at uh, to get a quick first down or something. Right. And the point being is when you have a bigger body like a Ty Jones or Sora Racanelli or Roma Dinsey or whoever, you can pick a number of guys out there. I think now all of a sudden, it's turning into less of a liability than it did in high leverage situations that we've seen last year and the year before. Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons why you want that size is, is to have guys be able to get off the jam and do the different things that they want to do and be more physical in the running game. And something that, you know, I don't think Aaron Fuller was a terrible person out of the slot. I don't, I think that was actually a better fit for him. He was forced outside, but I know that since he got here, junior Adams has been clamoring to get more size at uh, the slot receiver. And he definitely has it right now. If, if you're going by Ty Jones and Sawyer Racanelli and, maybe one or two other guys that they'll throw in there as well. Yeah, and and when you've got four or five running backs that are at least 210 pounds, you've got uh an offensive line that's as that's as big as last year's and and they're god, I don't know what they're averaging, but they're they're pretty good sized kids uh in there when you add in like an MJ Ale, you add in a Henry Bainavalu, your 330 pounds Vic Kern, um you know, they're you got some hogs up front too. It just you get the sense that with this attack, this pro style attack, you just get the sense that 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 Washington's going to say, "Hey, we're going to lean on you, we're going to keep leaning on you, and we're going to keep leaning on you, and eventually the defenses are going to fall over." Have you have you kind of noticed this this size thing and and maybe what they're trying to do on offense, Scott? Yeah, I I I would fully agree with you on that. Um, that they've been getting bigger. I, that's something that. You could see it when they brought in Richard Newton. You could see it even when Cam Davis was their main recruit. I mean, he was going to be a kid who was going to be 205, 210 pretty easily. We, you could tell that by his frame and everything like that. So um, I, I'm i really excited to see 
what this offense is able to do, whether it's running the ball downhill, whether it's uh, using play action. That's one of play action to me is one of the most beautiful things in the world when it's executed right. And uh, watching how how running downhill can influence a defense and make those linebackers take one false step, and then you can send a wide receiver right over top of those guys. It's it's exciting to me to see what this offense can do. Now they just need to go out and execute and do it because I, I think Donovan is the kind of guy who wants to go deep. I think that's what he wants to do. I don't think he just wants to be three yards in a cloud of dust. He wants to pound teams. I think he wants to wear them out. And I think toward the end of the game, maybe third, fourth quarter, you start taking some shots down the field because teams are worn out. Or you just, if you're up, you know, if you're up 28 to seven or something like that, and you want to run out the clock, they, they, they made a point of it. I think it was this week where, uh, Keith Bonifa, I know, uh, Jimmy Lakes has said it before, and I know John Donovan has said it before, where they said, it, it's great to run when you want to run, but what's more important is being able to run the ball when you have to run it. And by that, I think they mean, hey, we need one yard. We need to get this critical first down to extend a drive. We need, we need, uh, we need to be able to run the ball, run a four minute offense and, and run out the clock on this other team so that we can, like, you, you've got a, you're up 27, 24, you have the ball on your 20 yard line and there's about three and a half minutes left. Can you get a successive first downs in order to, to, to run out the clock and, and win the game? Or are you going to be, or are you going to give it back to the, the other team and put the pressure on your defense to make a stop? So, um, I think, John Donovan is the kind of coach that Washington needs with what they have on hand. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jimmy Lake was so excited to get someone like John Donovan in here because his style of coaching and the style of offense that he wants to run fits what Washington is built for pretty well. And I think that this, if they can, what, what do they always say? The best um, friend of a young quarterback is it's a running game. And sure. if, they, if the Huskies can run the ball, and be successful, then whoever they have back there, whether it's Thompson, Morris, Garbers, or Sermon, I, that that quarterback is going to be helped immensely. Sure. And I think, you know, you can go back to that that final drive in the snow in Pullman in 2018 and the way that Miles Gaskin and Savan Ahmed were able to just absolutely demoralize Washington State and, and basically down the ball at the end of the game inside what? They're inside their own 10. They drove like, 70 yards, 75 yards, and every third down they would go wide or they'd do something to try to, to get a first down, and those things accumulate. And I think, you know, when you look at that, I mean, that's, that's like a wet dream if you're, if you're a, a real fan of college football. You want to see that power run game, and you just want to see that defense just on their heels. And, you know, for them, cause I remember even back when, when Chris Peterson was at Boise State and they played Washington in 2013 in the, in the grand reopening of Husky Stadium, there was a time where Washington was running the ball and moving the offense. Chris Peterson had to call timeout just to give his defense a blow because they were on their heels. They were absolutely gassed. And I think that's the kind of thing that I think Jimmy Lake and, and John Donovan want to do because how many times last year did we see them have to sneak it on third and one or fourth and one because they didn't necessarily have a reliable option to carry the ball other than, you know, Jacob Eason just kind of 
plowing up and doing it. And I've got yeah. nothing against, the, I've got no problems against the quarterback sneak. I think quarterback sneaks is reliable and it's great and all that stuff. But if you are really pounding teams and you are wearing them down, that's one of those kind of plays where you give it to your back and now all of a sudden the dam's broken. Think about that, uh, the Stanford game at uh, CenturyLink. What was it? 2011, 2012, where Sankey scores at the end of the third quarter on that. Yep. Fourth down, yeah. where it's just like the dam opens, and he just runs right through it, and all of a sudden you've got like a 60-yard touchdown. I think they want to see if they can do that kind of stuff, exactly what you're talking about, where you're running it, running it, running it, and now all of a sudden on a short yardage play where you think it's just going to be three yards on a cloud of dust, now all of a sudden – Maybe they do, maybe they do bring one of those tight ends in, like, you know, it would have been Jacob Kaiser to lead Miles Gaskin at the Apple Cup, but maybe it's a Devin Culp or maybe it's one of these other guys that comes in and leads, uh, one of these bigger running backs through the hole. And now all of a sudden he's got green grass and it's game over. So I'm really curious to see it. And the other thing you pointed out too with the play action, there is nothing more beautiful than just pounding it, pounding it, pounding it, and then go over the top because the, because the linebackers have been drawn in. Everyone's expecting the run, and then you plop it over the top. We saw that many times last year with Chris Peterson's multiple offense and Bush Hampton taking shots. So we we know a Washington offense is not immune to taking shots. They will take their shots. It's just a matter of how different is it going to look with John Donovan compared to how Bush Hamden did it. I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to, to see. Today, obviously, again, we talked about it. There is a practice game for Washington. Media not invited, unfortunately. The following week, they're going to have another practice game. I, th- I think this will be their last practice game, the fourth one. Well, you would Jimmy, think so. <laughs> Jimmy Lake said on Friday that they're going to do it at 9 in the morning because, as we've heard, the Pac-12 will perhaps play some 9 a.m. games. What's interesting is none of the game times have really been announced for Saturday games. They have been announced for the Friday games, except for a couple. That would be the Apple Cup and the Civil War. So, unfortunately, the Pac-12 isn't helping out the Washington or Washington State fans or the Oregon or Oregon State fans yet. But uh, I'm really curious to see how a 9 a.m. practice game is going to turn out. Um, what do you think about all these different times where you could go from 9 in the morning to 8 at night, Scott? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've been pretty much on record that I, I cannot stand the late starts, even, even not going. Okay. Even just covering them here in the, in the, in, in the comfort of my office, you know, as I'm, as I'm writing stuff up and watching the game and everything like that. I, I'm not a fan of starts after five o'clock. Look, I understand that SEC games start later than that. I understand that there, there are SEC games that kick off at seven o'clock at night. I get it. Big 12, Big 10, a lot of those games all start and, you know, you'll see a lot of those games start at seven o'clock at night, their time. But out here on the West Coast, if, if you're talking about uh, uh, you know, being, marketing yourself across the country and building that footprint and building, building the brand and everything like that. Playing a game at seven o'clock at night that kicks off at 10, 1030 at night on the East Coast. No one. And I have friends, pretty good friends who are out on the East Coast who grew up as, or, you know, they went to Pac-12 schools. They will not stay up that late to watch a game. And, and they, they're like, and we like it. Imagine people out here who, who think that the Pac-12 just plays ter- a terrible brand of football. They're not going to stay up for that. 
I'm not a huge fan of the 9 o'clock kickoff, but I will say this. If you want to really get yourself out in front of the national audience, it, 9 o'clock, and I think Jimmy Lake said this too, 9 o'clock is much better than 7 o'clock. 9 o'clock in the morning is much better than 7 o'clock at night. And I don't think there's any way to even argue that. Now, is it healthy for the kids? Eh, I think you could have an argument where it might not be. But Washington practices at 9 o'clock in the morning every week. So is it really that different for them other than they, their start time is maybe a little bit different? I, I'm a fan of the 9 o'clock kickoff. If we have to choose, if somebody says, okay, look, we only have so many different slots for 12, 12.30. We only have you know, a 3.30 or 4. We only have a few different slots for that. You have to have games either at 9 in the morning or 7 at night. What's your choice? My choice would be 9 o'clock in the morning every day of the week and twice on Sunday. That's just yeah. the way I am. I, I'm built for that. I'm a, I'm a morning person much more than I am a night person. It's not about me. I get it. But 9 o'clock is so much more for more friendly to your brand than it is to than it is playing at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Well, the only thing we know for sure is that the Apple Cup, which is played on the Friday after Thanksgiving, will either be played at noon, 4 o'clock, or 7.30. So what you're telling me is is your friends on the East Coast will not go for a 10.30 start time for the Apple Cup. Uh, nope. Which is fair. Yep. And and two of them are Wazoo fans, and one of them is a UW fan. So And they, they would probably just record it and watch it the next day. It's, yeah. People just don't understand, you know, the East Coast people. Look, there might be some people whose kids are a little bit older that, you know, they don't have to worry about kid. But when you've got a kid waking up at six or in the morning on a Sunday and you're not going to bed until two in the morning because you've stayed up and watched a game, uh, people are not going to do that. They're just not going to do it. So this is I think nine o'clock is a much better compromise as as crappy as that might be. Yeah, and, and, you know, let's just face facts. 2020 has been absolutely goofy so far. And when it comes to the Pac-12, um, beggars can't be choosers. And unfortunately, nope. with a seven-game schedule, they are really having to try to be good partners with ESPN and Fox to make sure that they can fit all these times in, whether it's a Friday night game, whether it's Saturday at 9 in the morning or 7.30 at night. They're, they're having to try to, to, to fit these things in to try to be able to maximize the, the revenue that they can get for these games. I mean, that's just the only way you can look at it. So if you're Washington, if you're Jimmy Lake and you know there's a, that the possibility is you could be playing a game at nine in the morning, what are you going to do? You got to practice at nine in the morning. So that's what they're going to do. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Moving on real quick, we're going to touch on a couple more things, but... Uh, one of the main things that Jimmy talked about on Friday that's fantastic news, uh, there is another walk-on that has earned a scholarship. Uh, last week it was Jack Westover, the tight end. 
Was it last week or was it two weeks ago? I can't remember. It was two weeks ago, but I think it happened back in January or February. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Now, apparently this one happened about a month or a month and a half ago, but the punter and holder, Race Porter Sr., who played his high school ball at O'Day, is now on scholarship as well. So I think that's fantastic news. Clearly they have a scholarship to provide, and I don't know where that scholarship comes from, if if it's – one of the guys like Jacob Kaiser or Isaiah Gilchrist, for instance, because they opted out. Does that mean they have scholarships available? Probably, um, because they can't be on the roster right now. But either way, it's fantastic news for race. A guy that has been, uh, an ever present in Washington special teams for a few years now as the main holder, as well as mixing up the punt game last year with Joel Whitford. I think he had four punts for an average of almost 45 yards a kick, which is exceptional. I think he's averaged over like 42 and a half yards a kick over his career. So another guy, I think, to be honest with you, very, very worthy of a scholarship. Absolutely. You know, I, I looked it up. I didn't realize it, but he has the has been the only holder for Washington for the last two years plus. Um, and so that's it, 2018, 2019. And back in 2017, he he held for, I think it was five or six games. So he, you know. What is that? 27 plus six, you know, you're talking 33 games. He's been the holder for the University of Washington. That's, that's pretty impressive. Well, what I was going to say is, is that it's, uh, Jake Browning never held, for instance. So before race, I believe it was, was it at Carter Samuels that was the, the little holder? I can't remember who it was. Oh, exactly. But yeah, but I, I think, think that's pretty close. Was. Yeah. I, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but either way, it, it goes to show you that these guys are sometimes. Oh no. Who was the wide receiver that was a walk on? Um, from Skyline, I think. Oh, good question. Um, okay. well, yeah, I know I've, that, I know that Whitford was also a holder. Yeah, so they, I know they had they had options in terms of how they could do it. No, but I think for one year it was the receiver that was a walk on from uh, Skyline, and I'm totally drawn a blank on his name. I can totally picture him in my head, but um, I think he he held for one season. Okay. Yeah, I think he held. I think he held in 2017. Okay. So. That makes sense, but but the bottom line is this, it kind oh, of goes to show we we they're easily forgotten and and but yet they're integral guys. It's like long snappers. Yeah, you know people it's the aren't going to remember. The whole point them. is, hey, if you're not hearing about them, they're doing their job. Right, and like AJ Cardi, we're the only ones that are going to remember who AJ Cardi was, and the only reason we're going to remember him is because he he played four years at Washington as a long snapper, and no one remembers him because he was never in the paper. He didn't yeah. he didn't have one you know, or if he had a bad snap, I can't remember it. But either way, um, it goes to show that these special teams guys, especially the battery guys, the the snapper, the holder, and then obviously the kicker, a lot of those guys get uh, really undervalued, especially the the snappers and the holders. And for Race to be able to get in there and uh, and get on scholarship, I think it's fantastic. He's got a great backstory too. Um, you know, he's a guy I think that suffered a little bit from some mental illness. Um, he created his own brand or was involved in create the creation of a brand called Homs, which is like hard on my sleeve. And it's something that I know, I think Miles Gaskin and a bunch of these other guys, Dante Pettis and a bunch of these other guys have gotten involved with it. Um, just a fantastic deal. I know that he's Washington's representative and they nominated him for the Werfel award, which is, uh, contributions, um, for service. And, um, you know, so he's got a ton going for him. And again, think it's it's well deserved and probably long probably a little too long in coming he probably should have maybe even been on scholarship last year and i think they probably would have agreed if they had one available 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree with you on that one. So, you know, there, and, and Jimmy Lake said today, said on Friday that, hey, um, I know, I can tell you there's several guys that I've watched that I know are going to be scholarship guys eventually that aren't on scholarship right now. So, um, that, that kind of struck me that it's like, wow. You know, because I thought they would wait for a little while, you know, like, like, hey, what has this guy been doing for us? You know, like Peyton Henry, he didn't earn a scholarship until he um, was the regular kicker and and race Porter wasn't the wasn't that guy until until he was the starting holder, I, you know, starting holder, it sounds weird, but, it, uh, Ulufosio wasn't a scholarship guy until he earned a spot. Miles Bryant, same thing. But the fact that they're on their radar as guys that they could see earning scholarships, I guess it, it makes sense that they would say that, but I it, just, in my head, I was like, oh, I think they would see that, oh, look how this has worked out. Let's get this guy on scholarship because he's really earned it. Not, hey, I think this guy's going to earn a scholarship. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, that it's been in their mind for a few years before they finally get it. I, it that that surprised me a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and it does go to, to, to really underscore just how much they value the walk-on system and, and that group and because they really are looking out for those guys. You know, Edifuan Ufoshio, you mentioned – Peyton Henry, um, obviously going back to Miles Bryant. Now we all assumed that Miles Bryant would eventually be on scholarship because he was event, he was actually originally given a scholarship when he, when he was, when he was, uh, being recruited by Washington, but then just waited too long. And then once the scholarship dried up, he said, well, I'm, I know I want to go to Washington now after going through the entire process and then picked up the scholarship later. But again, Peyton Henry, a guy that's, that's doing it on and off the field. Trying to really, um, you know, kind of, yeah, I guess, I don't know what you want to say in terms of the, the things he's doing off the field, but they're tremendous. I mean, he's really trying to reframe the discussion about mental illness, really trying to, to, to take the stigma away from it. And I give him full marks, full credit for that. Um, it's something that, that really needs to be done. And it's nice to see one of the Washington guys doing it. And I guess you really, this really also underscores what Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake really believe in, in this built for life thing. You know, they're talking about, we, we asked Jimmy on Friday about, you know, he, he, he had that thing where he did the, he had a um, picture of himself putting in his ballot in the voting box and how they team getting fully registered. Now they got to go out and vote. Uh, apparently the Dempsey indoor is actually going to be a voting facility on, on election day. So the day that they have off to be able to, to do their, um, their civic duty. So I think that's phenomenal. And again, it just kind of goes to, to show how all this uh, built for life stuff off the field is impacting the team. Now we'll see how much it can impact them on the field too. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I, I think a, a lot of, um, things, you know, they, they've just been battling so many different things with this epidemic, you know, the, the COVID epidemic and all the pandemic that's been going around and all these different things, the, the social justice stuff that's been coming up, the, the, um, the election that, you know, is so divisive and on, in so many ways and, and just, these kids get so affected by so many things and then they've got to go out and be performing, you know, 
you know, performing on the field and getting things done and going to class and not going to class, actually just doing everything online. You know, how, how many kids are actually able to zone in on that? Would you, Chris, think about it. When you and I were in college, you're, you're a year older than I are, two years old, whatever you are, older than I am. You, you and I never had, first of all, we really didn't have computers that, that heavily when we were in college, but think about trying to sit there and learn from a professor through a computer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 it doesn't make sense to me. I couldn't do it. No, I, and I mean, I was lucky that I made it to class sometimes, you know what I mean? And I mean, nothing's, nothing's there to really keep these kids in check. Um, you know, I mean, there's only a certain amount of stuff you can do for these kids to, to keep them on, on track. And so, these kids are really going through a lot of different things and, and hopefully here over the next, you know, six months to a year, we get back to some sort of normalcy where it, when it comes to, you know, having to wear masks and I, you know, I'm, I'm all for masks if they really do prevent the spread and things like that. But, um, you know, I hate wearing them. I, I it's annoying as heck to me, but I'll do it because I want to, I, 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 you know, I, I'm not smart enough to know one way or the other whether they help or they don't help. But, you know, I, I guess my thing is I want, I, these kids are going through a lot of different things that we don't give them credit for. And, um, it's, it's good to see them thriving in a different way and, and gro- growing, they're growing up a lot faster than, than I think that anybody thought they would have had to. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that, that, they had so much time off um, because they would have wanted to be here in Seattle working out with their team and doing all the stuff in the summer that you would have wanted them to do. Obviously, all the freshmen coming in for the LEAP program and all these things that I think a lot of people just kind of take for granted uh, behind the scenes. But, you know, if there's ever, if there's a silver lining to all of it, it's that they did get to spend a lot of time with their families now because now that they're here, who knows the next time they're going to get a chance to go back home. Uh, and, and these are things, you know, even the local kids, the local kids, a big part of the reason they stay at Washington and go to Washington is because they can play in front of their friends and family. That's not happening right now. That's, that's, that's yeah. a huge miss for those guys. I mean, Savelle Smalls, um, you know, all these guys that, that stay close to home and want to play in front of their friends and family. What about the guys for next year? You know, are, are they going to be able to play in front of their friends and family in 2021? I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but how do we know? We're just, there's just no way of knowing. And I know that the Pac-12 is doing everything they can to try to get parents in the stands. I know that Jimmy Lake and Jen Cohen and, and the people at Washington are absolutely fighting for that. I know they want that to happen and hopefully that does happen. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's so many things that are going on behind the scenes on top of it. You asked me about, you know, my experience in college and I was thinking about some of these upper level classes that I was taking, which were more kind of just round, big round table discussions where you throw opinions back and forth. How do you do that in a zoom environment? I just find it because you're, it's not so much even what you're saying sometimes it's what are the, how do you, you know, what's the reaction from the people in your group? What are they, how are they reacting? What's their facial expression like? What, are, you know, all these things go into it. I just find it fascinating that they're able to do all these things and still be able to do it at such a high level. It's so impressive. And, um, 
I just hope that they can c- kind of continue to do it and, and everyone kind of feeds off their own energy because one of the things that we have seen on the video, Scott, and has been interesting is that you see a lot of guys spiking the ball. You see a lot of guys celebrating. And I'm sure the old fans, the older fans, old school fans are sitting there going, gee, I, I, you know, are they going to be able to do that in a game or can they, Hey, this is all about bringing out the energy and bringing out the excitement and the love for the game. Because when you're playing in an empty stadium, the only people that are able to bring energy into a game is yourself. That's the only people that they're going to be able to rely on when it comes down to it. And so I think they're just trying to get in that muscle memory of trying to bring that energy for themselves and for their teammates so that they can take it on the field when they go down to Cal on November 7th. Um, last thing I wanted to bring up too, and real quickly, um, I know you're going to COVID sevens today, the seven on seven that, um, who is it? Was it Hopkins? Um, from Milton, Milton Hopkins. Milton yeah. Hopkins. And, um, uh, junior Alexander from, uh, Kennedy. Yeah. So yeah, so those guys are, 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 they put together the seven on seven tournament with some of the local, uh, teams and players. I know you're going up to that today. Tell me a little bit about what you're, uh, planning to see. Yeah, so, um, well, one guy that I, I know that there's a bunch of Oregon kids that are coming up and I want to get a chance to talk to some of those guys. Washington has made some offers out to Oregon kids. Um, Trajan Williams is one, um, that, that I definitely want to get a look at and also talk to for a few minutes. Um, there, you know, just last time I went up to that, which was about, I want to say it was four weeks ago. Maybe it was, maybe it was just three, but whatever it was, um, I went up there and there were like 25 schools that were there and, um, you know, some are schools that don't really produce any big time talent, but it's still fun to just get out and see these kids interacting. You don't even know how much these kids miss hanging out with their friends and, and seeing them and, and the normalcy that goes on. And, um, you know, it's, it's just fun. It was funny. We were, we were up there. And we were standing watching and there was, there was a guy that, uh, we know and, and I'm not going to say his name or anything like that because I don't want to embarrass him or the kid, but, um, his kid was playing in front of us and he catches the winning touchdown pass and he says, let's effing go. But he didn't say effing. He said the whole word, right? And his dad and I were standing, um, about 15 feet away from him when he did. And, and just watching the kids get so excited to be out there together and all that stuff. But, and it was just, it was, it's one of those things that happens at camp. Chris, you've covered camps for a long time. You know, a lot of funny stuff can happen at camps, whether it's a coach interacting with players. I still remember Steve Sarkeesian at a camp. A uh, kid asked him if he should make them make this adjustment to something. And he goes, just snap the F in football. And you, you just see stuff like that. You see Coach Cazetto getting after kids. You see um, one coach in a wide receiver drill um, watching kids not be able to catch passes and, and him coming over and talking to guys and saying, hey, I see a lot of great DBs out here. So, you know, just being at camps and, and being at organized things like that is just so much fun because it's where we get to network with people. But it's also where we get to see the kids go out and enjoy playing the game they love to play. And and that's that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to network with some parents. I'm going to talk to some recruits, but I'm just going to sit out there and enjoy watching these kids go through what what they should be should have been going through back in in uh in, you know, June, July. Yep. 
No, absolutely. And I think it's also part of the big reason you saw a lot of the higher profile 2021 guys, um, and 2020 guys, um, the high school, top high school guys, uh, going out and trying to, to lobby Olympia and what have you in terms of trying to get back, uh, their high school seasons as soon as possible. Um, I'm not sure what the, what the latest update is on that, but we'll try to find out a little bit more and, um, and see how that's going too. So, uh, any final thoughts, Scott? I think, I think that kind of wraps it up. Yeah. I, I just, I'm excited, man. I, I can't believe that, that we're, you know, two weeks away from the start of the football season. It seemed like it was so far away, Chris, when, when they canceled the season and, and in August and then all of a sudden, early October, things start coming around and, and they start seeing these other schools have, our teams have success and conferences and everything like that. So the fact that we're here and we're ready, we know we're two weeks away from the Huskies playing a real football game that actually counts. I, it needs to get here and it needs to get here soon because I'm, I'm jonesing for some Husky football right now. Yeah. No, I, you're in a long line. I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. I, I was going to say it's really interesting because, you know, Sunday we'll have a media session and there's nothing Monday. Tuesday and Wednesday will be media sessions. And that's essentially what we've been told is the end of fall camp. So after that, everything can kind of be assumed to be working towards uh, that game week and that November 7th game at California. So it really is close, guys. That means we only have three more sessions, media sessions of fall camp, and then it's over. And then now we're starting to go right into right into game week where we'll obviously have a ton of coverage. We'll break down California as well as what's going on more with the Washington Huskies, as well as everything that kind of breaks and, 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 and as much as we can find out. Although I'll give high, I'll give top marks to Jimmy Lake and his staff as well as the players for, uh, not revealing too much about what the game plan is or, or just how things are going in general. That um, was a generous way of putting that. I'll Chris, give them a lot way. of credit. So, <laughs> but, but you know, we'll, we'll see how things go. Maybe things will open up a little bit more during game week and, uh, we'll start to get a better sense of how things are going to go offensively. I have a, I have a feeling after that first game, we'll get a little bit more out of them. I hope so. I mean, that would be Me nice too. to see. That would be nice to see. So for Scott Eklund, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.